been in the story of Exodus now for a few months, but specifically over the past two weeks, uh, we have had a front row seat to watch someone, and that someone being Moses, uh, struggle or battle with something that all of us can relate with. And the thing that he was struggling and battling that we can all relate with is struggling to do what God wants us to do. Now, I know it's never fun just to be all lumped together and thrown in the same boat, but I just think that the reality is all of us here at some point can relate or connect with struggling or battling to do all of what God wants us to do. There might be some things that we do that God wants us to do, but I'm talking about just doing all that God wants us to do. Whether it was a struggle or a battle for us to maybe forgive somebody, or maybe a struggle or a battle to extend just a hand of grace uh, or a hand of generosity, maybe the battle and the struggle was just to head in a certain direction that you ultimately just didn't want to walk, but you knew God was telling you to walk in that path but you just battled doing that. Or maybe it was just a struggle or a battle to just trust God with a decision about a relationship, Uh, trust God with a situation or circumstance that just seemed way beyond your control. Again, it's just safe to say all of us have wrestled with God on doing all that God wants us to do. But what Moses and his wrestling match with God that we got to see over these past two weeks has taught me afresh is this. Struggling to obey and obeying is always better than disobeying. Struggling to obey, but yet obeying is always better than disobeying. See, God is big enough and He's gracious enough to meet us in that struggle or to meet us in that battle, but we are going to miss seeing God and being part of His work in our lives and the lives of those around us when our struggle to do all that God wants us to do ends in us ultimately not doing it. But what I've been encouraged by with Moses is he struggled, but in the end, he did everything that God wanted him to do. And so the story where we pick up today is Moses is now beginning a very long journey back to Egypt. And it says in chapter 4, verse 18, Moses went back home to Jethro, his father-in-law, And he says this, please let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. I don't even know if they're still alive. So we see that Moses wants to honor his father-in-law, Jethro, by just asking for permission and asking ultimately his blessing on taking his wife and his sons from where he was to where he's now going in Egypt. But what's maybe at best odd about this brief interaction is the reason that Moses gives his father-in-law for actually wanting to go back to Egypt. Again, he says, let me return to my relatives. I just want to see if they're still alive. Really? Because Moses, didn't you just have this amazing interaction with God where God laid out very clearly for you what he was calling you to do, namely, go lead all of the people, the Israelites, out of bondage and slavery? So I've just been wondering, Moses, why didn't you just tell him that? What's up with this story of, hey, I just really am going back to see if my relatives are alive. Why didn't Moses actually tell his father-in-law the whole story? I'm sure there are many ways that we could answer this, but what I think we're seeing here is what it looks like to waver between faith and unbelief. What it looks like to waver between faith and unbelief. Moses is going back to Egypt 
But we see with this very brief interaction that obedience does not dispel all doubts. We see that Moses is still struggling. We see that Moses still is having some doubts. And what I don't want us to miss, and I just don't think it's said enough, but I think doubt is a big part of our journey. Doubt is a big part of our journey, but what we learn from Moses is that doubt did not hinder him from being obedient to God. He had doubts. He was still struggling. He was still wrestling, but he did not let his doubts hinder him from doing all that God wanted him to do. And so a question that I would ask us to consider as we begin is, is doubt hindering you in any way from being obedient to God? Are any of the doubts that you have of maybe who God is or what God is like, Maybe doubts of what He's really calling you to do or to be part of. Are any of the doubts that you currently have ultimately hindering you from being obedient to all that God has for you and wants for you? Clearly, Moses still had some doubts, but he did not let his doubts lead to disobedience. And because uh, he was obedient to God, well, guess what? He got to see God. He got to be part of God's work. He got to see God's power. Now, here's an interesting question. How would you expect God to respond to Moses being obedient to him? Or just make it personal. How would you expect God to respond to you being obedient to him? You've made this decision to say, you know what? I've been obedient to some things, but God, I'm all in. I want to be obedient to everything that you are calling me to do. How would you expect God to respond to you? Now, we might not say it, but isn't there this expectation that we place on God to ultimately behave himself? That if we're going to be obedient, don't we expect or at least hope that our obedience is going to be met with maybe a growing sense of just greater clarity, certainly not greater confusion? Well, as Moses begins taking steps of obedience towards Egypt, let me just say what we're about to see in his first steps towards Egypt is going to leave all of us this morning saying, God, what on earth is that about? God, what on earth are you doing in this situation? The man is now being obedient to you. What on earth are you doing now in this next part of the story? Let's look at Exodus chapter 4 and pick up at verse 19. Remember, Moses is headed back to Egypt. So before, uh, pick up at verse 19, before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, return to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you have died. And so Moses took his wife and his sons and put them on a donkey and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand, he carried the staff of God. And the Lord told Moses, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh, perform all the miracles I have empowered you to do, but I will harden his heart so he will refuse to let the people go. Just in case you missed that. I will harden his heart so he will refuse to let the people go. Then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me, but since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. On the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife, circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, Now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. 
After that, the Lord left him alone. Now, before I walk through these verses, I wanted you to hear what the experts had to say. And when I say experts, I mean men and women who have devoted their entire life to studying the Old Testament. So, men and women who are scholars and theologians, in response to these verses, they say this, as the story continues, we encounter some of the strangest verses in the Old Testament. What happened next is a shocking reminder how strange the Old Testament can be. These are some of the most puzzling verses in the Old Testament. One commentator said, we are confronted with questions that offer no easy answers. Now, I share that with you not to discourage anyone, but just to recognize that Moses' first steps towards obedience are not, not met with just smooth sailing, but actually met with some really extremely murky waters. And so, as we walk through these murky waters within these verses, Really, the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning is this, what do we think about God when we don't know what to think about God? What do we think about God when we just don't know what to think about God? This is a really crucial question for each of us to answer because how we answer this question not only shapes how we obviously think and understand God, but ultimately is going to shape how we relate in relationship to God. And I think often what happens when we are confronted with things about God that just are at best confusing, or especially in this passage, hard, generally we'll have one of two responses. One response typically will be, I just don't want to think about it. I'm just going to kind of bury my head in the sand and either not think about it or just ignore altogether that which is hard and confusing. I just don't want to deal with it. Well, that's one response. Another response that someone might have is, you know what? I'm just going to believe what I want to believe about God. I love to believe that God is loving and kind and caring and, and generous and faithful and compassionate and all of those things. I will believe that about God. But the stuff that's really hard, hardening hearts, he was going to kill Moses. Yeah, that's stuff I'm just not going to choose to believe in. Now, sadly, both responses ultimately lead us away from knowing and experiencing firsthand the beauty and the mystery that is God. So, as we're confronted with Exodus 4, really a decision that we need to make is this. What version of God do you want? What version of God do you want? Do you want the version that you've crafted and kind of created in your heart and mind, the version of God that makes sense and makes you feel good and you can grasp and comprehend, or do you want just God to be God? The reality is that a God that we've made is really no God at all because we've placed ourselves above Him. A God that we've made certainly is not worth giving our attention, our time, our affection, all of who we are to, but when we begin to discover who God is, not who we want Him to be, we're going to discover that God is actually worthy of all of us of all of who we are all of the time. And so in this story, we see Moses, he says goodbye to his father-in-law, Jethro, and he and his wife and his two sons begin a very long journey, probably about four to six month journey back towards Egypt. And as Moses takes his first steps of obedience, God reveals something that's going to happen when he gets back to Egypt. Verse 21, and the Lord told Moses, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh, perform the miracles I have empowered you to do, but I will harden his heart. So he will refuse to let the people go. 
Now, if you're Moses, and this is what God tells you, I'm guessing the first question that would come to his mind and certainly comes to my mind is, God, why on earth are you going to make this more difficult? Why not, I don't know, soften his heart? The man clearly already has a hardened heart because he hates the people of God. So why on earth, God, would you not soften his heart so he ultimately lets the people go free? What is the point of actually hardening his heart? I don't envision Moses' response to God in this moment is, yeah, God, that's a great plan. This seems like a really good idea. Harden the man who already hates our people. So I'm guessing at some point at this moment, Moses, he already has been struggling with the plans and purposes of God, is now struggling even more when he finds out it's going to be harder when he gets there, not easier. And I think for all of us, again, we can, for being honest, we've all battled and wrestled with the plans and purposes of God that just don't seem to make a ton of sense to us. But what's specifically hard in this particular passage is this question of, does God really harden someone's heart? Like, does does the God who is loving, caring, compassionate, does He honestly harden people's hearts? Now, in the coming weeks and months, we're going to have to wrestle with this question over and over again because over 20 different times in the story of the Exodus, it mentions that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Now, some of those times, it clearly says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But as we are seeing here in Exodus chapter 4, it clearly says that God hardened his heart. So this is why we wrestle with the question, what do you think about God when you just don't know what to think about God? And the first answer I'll tell you is this, God's purposes are always bigger than you think. Not sometimes, not most of the time, but God's purposes or His plan is always bigger than you think. This is not to say that we're always going to understand the plans and purposes of God, but we can always rest assured and trust that His plans will be bigger, dare I say, greater. Now, when it comes to understanding the hard things of God, like hardening hearts, a caution that I want to give to each of us is this. We need to be really slow with the conclusions that we come to. Moses' response to God in the desert when he learns that God's going to harden Pharaoh's heart was not like, hey, we need to figure out this theological conundrum between divine sovereignty and free will. In fact, Moses never broaches that subject because he, along with the people of God, actually found great comfort in knowing that God was in complete control of a man that seemed completely out of control. So Moses didn't take this this challenging passage of God hardening hearts as a puzzle to be solved, he actually found great comfort in seeing that God was in control. So how would have Moses understood God hardening the heart of Pharaoh? I think the best way to answer that question right now is we have to remember back in Exodus 3, which is just a few verses ago, a few moments ago in Moses' time frame. It says in verse 19 and 20, but I know, this is God speaking to Moses, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So we already see the man's heart is hard. 
So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last, He will let you go. I don't know if you've ever experienced a story in your life where you are just absolutely, utterly convinced that you just got to see God do something amazing. You got to see Him provide. You got to see Him heal maybe physically or mentally or spiritually, or you got to see a relationship that you never in a million years would thought be reconciled, and you got to see God do that. And in your mind, you are thinking to yourself, I cannot wait to share this story with my friend who does not believe in God, because once they hear this story, they're going to be convinced that God is good, that God is real, that God is powerful. And then you share that story with your friend thinking they're going to come to faith in this moment. And the very thing that you thought would bring your friend, family member, neighbor, coworker, classmate to faith actually only pushed them further away from God. And you're left, gosh, how did that story actually cause them greater indifference towards God? I have so many stories where I've thought, gosh, I've seen God be God. And I've shared those stories with family members and friends thinking for sure they would be convinced that God is real. And it actually only served to harden them towards God. Jesus, in the New Testament, if you're familiar with Jesus, He performed all sorts of miracles. But one example, He performed miracle of healing or raising His friend Lazarus from the dead. There was many people in the crowd that day, and there were some people in the crowd that were like, we believe that you're God. But there were some people in that same crowd who saw the exact same miracle, and the response is, we need to kill him. How is it possible that some people see the powerful, mighty work of God, and their heart is softened? And how is it possible that some people see the exact same work of God, and their hardened towards God, not softened towards Him? Well, again, many ways you could answer that question, but I'm just going to give you one. Acknowledging God as God means acknowledging you're not God. Acknowledging that God is God also means acknowledging that you're not Him. And the last thing that Pharaoh wanted or was willing to do was acknowledge that there was a power that was greater than Him. Now, I understand it's, it's hard for us to understand, but the same Works of God that would harden one's heart would be the same works that would help people believe. So there are no easy answers, but I'm sure of this, that God's purposes, they are always, always bigger than you think. Now, seeking to understand hardening hearts is one thing, but how do you even begin to fathom God seeking to kill Moses? Verse 24, on the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. Why on earth would God assault Moses? Like, God just had this amazing interaction with Moses where, Moses, I'm sending you back to lead all of the people in Egypt that are my people out of slavery, out of bondage, but now he is target number one. Was God really going to kill Moses in this moment? And I would say, well, it would certainly appear that he was because Moses' wife assessed the situation rather quickly and intervened for Moses by circumcising her son. Now, I just want you to think about this conversation for a moment. Moses had kids when he arrived into uh, the desert lands where he was living. This is 40 years later. 
So we know that his oldest sons would have been somewhere in the ballpark between 35 to 40 years old. Imagine the mom going to her 35-year-old son and saying, listen, we got a situation here, <clears throat> and not only is this going to be painful for you, but we're about to have a really awkward moment. <laughs> and her trying to explain to her son that I need to circumcise you right now, and the son asking a very thoughtful question, uh, Mom, why are we doing this? And the mom saying, well, if I don't, your dad's going to die. Now, if I'm the son, I'd be like, I, I love dad a lot, but he's 80. He has lived a really good life. What I've honestly been wrestling with this story is when Moses fights and he argues with God about going back to Egypt, we see that God is so patient. But when it comes to circumcision, God is ready to get rid of him. Like, what is up with that? We see that Moses can argue, he can pout, he can whine, and God is going to deal ever so patiently with him. But when it comes to circumcision, it's now become a deadly matter. And I know the concept of circumcision, I don't mean physically, but spiritually, is somewhat lost on us. But when God entered into a covenant relationship with Moses's great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather named Abraham, he was told that what would set them apart as the people of God would be circumcision. If you were to flip back a few, uh, in Genesis chapter 17, it says this, all must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Circumcision to God was a mark that you were set apart as the people of God. And we're also told of the consequence for not bearing the mark of being the people of God would be punishment of being actually cut off from God. So for roughly 40 years, Moses ignored the mark of God on his family's life. And when he was about to experience the consequence of being disobedient to God for 40 years, he actually reserves, receives the grace of God. So much could be said about these verses, but here's what we can think about God when we don't know what to think about God. God's grace is always better than you think. God's grace, and grace just means undeserved. God's grace, His mercy, His kindness is always better than you think. See, in a very similar way, when we see the cross of Christ, this is a picture of Jesus getting what you and I deserved, and us receiving what we did not deserve, which is life, eternal life, peace with God, friendship with God. In the New Testament, there is a letter written by a man named Paul called Romans, and it says this, yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. Catch this. God in His grace wants you and me to be made right with Him. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. So in the same way that Moses' sin was met with the grace of God, our sin is met with the grace of God on the cross of Christ. 
And I love this picture, not only of what Zipporah did for Moses to literally redeem his life, but it is a picture of what Christ has done for us, that you and I are made right with God, not by our religion, spirituality, being moral, our good works, our best attempts, our effort. It is so clear. If you believe that what Jesus did for you, what He did on the cross, how He sacrificed His life, that's what makes us right with God. So what do you think about God when we don't know what to think about God? In a very challenging story here in Exodus 4, we're reminded that God's purposes are always bigger than you think, and God's grace is always better than you can think. Now, the very last verse that I'll share with you in Exodus chapter 4 is a very simple statement, but it says in verse 29, then Moses and Aaron, they returned to Egypt. Now, I don't know what you would have done, but if God made clear that, hey, I'm going to harden his heart, this road's going to get harder. And in light of almost losing your life, if you would have just packed up and said, you know, this isn't for me. I don't want to go back to Egypt. This is going to be way harder than I ever thought or imagined. What I love about verse 29 is the reminder that Moses kept journeying towards Egypt. And so the question that I would just leave us to think through and wrestle with today is what you think of God leading you towards growing obedience or is what you think of God leading you to continued disobedience? Moses was confronted with how do I think about God in this story? But what he thought of God still led him to take steps of obedience towards Egypt rather than disobedience. So is what you know and understand and think about God, is it leading you to be obedient to what God is inviting you to do today? Or is it leading you to take step towards disobeying? And the consequence of just disobedience is just missing God. Moses was a man who was filled with stories about how he got to see God at work. But those who just continue to take steps of disobedience their stories are not of God at work in their life. They're stories of just frustration 